Welcome back, Richard. It's good to see you. We, we we took a week off, but it's good to be back. Oh, that's right. We did. I forgot about did. that. I, I was out of town, and uh, we just didn't organize it to be able to to record last week. But we're we're back this week to talk about a very interesting and um, important topic that we've kind of touched on before, but we certainly work on with. Uh, a lot of patients and a lot of people that we work with here in our clinic. And that is the issue of um, admitting when, when we're wrong. Right. Yeah. My, <laughs> it was funny, my adult son and I were talking the other day and, and um, he's been going through some stuff, I guess at work or somewhere. And um, he said, dad, why do people have so much time admitting that they're wrong? Um, wouldn't, wouldn't it be? And I thought, well, that's an interesting topic. And as I thought about it, as I thought about a response for him, um, I thought, hmm, might be an interesting thing to take a closer look at um, in, in, in the podcast. Turns out that um, admitting you're wrong or, or admitting that you made a mistake, and I think there are both, yeah. turns out to be a very difficult um, um, thing for most of us. Um, and it's, but the problem is it's virtually impossible for some people to ever admit that they made a mistake or that or that they were wrong. Right. Well, you know, it, it's so interesting and it's such an interesting topic because, you know, I, I'm glad that you emphasize that it was your adult son um, because we, we do deal with this issue a lot with parents who are dealing with who, who are working with their kids. And they'll talk about their kids who, you know, they lie or they can't take responsibility. They won't accept when they've made a mistake or they won't accept that they are responsible for something that they did wrong. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. Right. And, you know, so it is a very common topic that we we talk to parents about. And so it's interesting that your adult son asked you about that because it is something that we talk about with our kids all the time. Right. Yeah. I have one. <laughs> I had one the other day that they have a camera in their house and they sat down with the kid and said, OK, here you are. You know, you've moved from this room to this room. And you and he said, well, no, no, you don't understand what's really happening there. And even with video evidence, he's still denying that he did what they can watch on video. Mm -hmm. And you're right. The, the idea that why do kids lie? You know, when they when and, and it's, it's an important topic. So. Turns out it's difficult, and admitting you're wrong is really critical. Uh, this whole idea of not of not being able to admit is critical for two reasons. Number one, it's going to get in the way of relationships. Right. If you're in a, any kind of a relationship, partner, parent, uh, employee, if you can't admit you're wrong, you're eventually going to lose that relationship. I mean, it, that, that rela it has to do significant damage to a relationship. So if you're struggling with this whole idea of admitting you're wrong, um, please pay uh, close attention because it will damage your relationship. But the other issue is, if you can never admit you're wrong, there's no room for growth. Right. I mean, you know, we talk about failure and all that business. You have to fail in order to succeed. Um, and you learn more from failure than from success. I remember an interview with Brady Pacheco was um, he was a physician. Uh, and he was the physician to Muhammad Ali, the, the boxer. And he said one of the sad things about Ali, about Muhammad Ali, is that everybody wanted him to talk to them. Um, they just wanted to be in his presence. And Bertie said the problem was he never listened. 
He never had the opportunity to listen to anybody else to get new information because he was always talking. That's, that's what he was known for. And he said, but the sad thing is, is there was very little growth because he was always doing the talking and never, never let anything else in. So it's important for personal growth. Um, you can't be right all the time and you're not going to learn anything if you insist that you're right all the time, you have to let other perspectives in and let them inform you. And people who can't admit that they're wrong deny themselves the opportunity for that kind of growth. Absolutely. And so when a mistake has been made, there, there tends to be three, people can respond to it in, in one of three ways. Right. Um, there are certainly those who admit it. They, they acknowledge mm-hmm. that there was a mistake and they accept the responsibility and they say, you know, that was my fault. I'm sorry. Um the, the second group are those who acknowledge that a mistake was made, but shift the blame or responsibility to someone else. And that that is often what we hear from our kids. Or, the dog. Oh, it wasn't my fault. Um, yeah, I didn't turn my homework in, but, you know, the dog ate it or, you know. Yeah, that, that's the kids are a very good example because they blame somebody. Else. Well, the teacher didn't post the grade. Well, the teacher didn't. The teacher wasn't clear. They They shift blame to somebody else so that they don't have to accept it. That's a very immature response. As you mature, you learn to say, okay, yeah, I messed up. It's my, it's, it's my shortcoming. It's my failure. It's my fault. Young kids aren't there yet, you know, and so they'll shift blame to somebody else, but adults shouldn't be doing that. Absolutely. And then the third group are those who interestingly never even admit that there is a mistake. Um, if you know when when confronted with a mistake, it's well you don't understand or no that's not that's not what that's is so happening that's not what really went on that's not really what I said mm-hmm. um, and and so they can't even acknowledge that a mistake was made in the first place, let right. alone take any responsibility. That's right, and there's it, it's this third group that we're concerned. The second group we're concerned about because we see it as a developmental ability that kids will shift blame, um, but as you mature, you accept blame. The third group are those who just can never accept that they contributed in any way or that anything is their fault. And there are two reasons why people have these kinds of difficulties and why they can't admit they're wrong or why they can't admit that they made a mistake. One is sort of a surface level reason. Right. <laughs> you know, um, I don't want my kids to know that um, I'm not good at something, um, repairing the car, changing the oil, fixing the lawnmower, uh, fixing the dishwasher. And so you, you, you do something stupid and you don't really want to admit it. You know, I forgot to do something or other. Um, and, and you don't want your kids to think you're uh, naive, stupid, or incompetent. And so you you come up with some silly story. But there are no real serious consequences. Nobody got hurt, you know, uh, from, from what you did. Um, you know, I was supposed to pay a bill and I forgot, but I don't want my kids to know that I forget stuff. And so I say, no, it wasn't me. It was, uh, it was under the seat of the car. And um, it keeps your, sort of keeps your reputation intact. Or if you're an employer, you know, you don't want your employees to think that you messed up. And so you tell some story, but nobody really gets, there's no serious uh, consequences to that sort of surface level denial. Um, In the Catholic church, we'd call it a venial sin. Yeah, you made a mistake, but you know, you're not going to, nothing bad is going to happen. Right. We're concerned is a deep level. Yeah. That deeper level is where you really start to get into um, the, the, the area of damage. Um, and when you, when you 
fail to admit that you've done anything wrong, you know, th this deeper level is where you start to really affect relationships and you really start to um, really get at the core of who the person is. That's um, right. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you are incapable of accepting that you've mm -hmm. done something wrong, and again, it's outside of sort of that surface level. Uh, well, you know, I don't want the kids thinking, you know, kids will take advantage of that, or I don't want to look bad in front of the boss, you know, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. There's almost some awareness that you're doing it in those cases, right? right. You, you sort of know that I'm sort of skating on thin ice here, but I know what I'm doing. Right. At a deeper level, oftentimes these individuals in, in, in I, I even hate to say it this way a little bit, but sometimes they don't even recognize what they're doing. You right. know, they don't recognize that they are, they are, that they are shifting the blame or that they are denying that anything, any wrongdoing completely to the point where, again, they will damage relationships and they will, they will lose important relationships or, or jobs or positions simply because they don't, even acknowledge or see or recognize that anything has happened. That's right. Um, as we, as as you and I went through this literature on on this topic, there really are four reasons why people fail to admit um, right. that they're wrong. And the first one is they're they're just simply unaware of it. Right. Um, and there there just are some people who they're not aware that they did something wrong or they hurt somebody's feelings. And what they said or did was harmful. They just lack awareness that what they're doing is so harmful. So, right. of course, they can't admit because if they don't know. So the right. first reason that people deny is a lack of awareness. Right. And in those situations, what we do therapeutically is we will sit the two people down together and we'll mm -hmm. say, um, OK, so this was done. Can we all acknowledge that this was done? Yes. OK, well how did you feel or what did you think or what effect did it have on you when right. you did that? Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to raise that awareness. Oh, right. well, I didn't realize that by, you know, doing this repeatedly, that it was really bothering you that much. And now we're raising awareness. So hopefully it's I'll recognized in the future, but right. you know, it, I, I think about that a lot with um, when I work with schools and you, you know, there are certain words that students say, Mm -hmm. that really can get a teacher going. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain, you know, four-letter words, especially, that if a teacher right. hears a student say that, they their ears perk up and they are, you know, they are on number 11 um, immediately. Mm -hmm. um, well, as soon as you start to raise awareness that, you know, because the kids will deny it, oh, I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything. Um, as soon as you raise some awareness that, well, look, this is how you talk at home. This is how you talk in your community. This is how you talk with your friends, but this is not how we talk in school. You're starting to raise that awareness so that everybody understands, okay, what, what really are the expectations here? Um, so we don't have to deny that this stuff happens, but we can correct the behavior and, right. and try to make better decisions in the future. So that's what we try to do. It's not always easy, but but we try to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So the first issue is, is the person aware that they're even doing it? Right, right. Second reason is something that we've talked about many times called confirmatory or confirmation bias. And that is that we tend to use evidence. We tend to use only the evidence that supports us. And, and you'll hear people say, well, well, the fact is, well, the facts are this. 
It's not that they're, what you're doing is you're simply taking the information that supports your position and you're ignoring anything that might not support your position. Right. And it's called confirmatory bias. You're using only the information that will support you. People do this in political arguments all the time. All the time. Is they'll argue a particular position, but they're arguing from the information that they have rather than all of the information. And we do this in personal arguments because we will say, well, this is what you did. This is what you said. But we immediately have two perspectives. You know, maybe, maybe you're right, but here's this other perspective. In In divorce cases, we frequently talk about if couples divorce, then there are two truths. You know, yeah. the uh, each partner has a truth that they're pursuing. Uh, right. Is one of them wrong? Maybe, but it doesn't matter. You're, you tend to use only the information that you need to win the argument. And that's what damages relationships is that you don't allow that other information in. You don't, you shut yourself off to any other alternative explanations. Right. And again, you, you know, our, our intervention here is 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 sometimes challenging because what we want is to encourage and try to help the person see the other side, see mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. possibilities, and right. it requires a, 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 an acceptance of or openness to the idea that there could be another a view, another right. um, perspective. Um, and again, a lot of people you, you mentioned divorce cases, especially in divorce cases people become very rigid and they mm-hmm. get stuck in their position and they do right. not want to move. Right. And it's, it's a matter of pride or it's a matter of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they only want to look at their perspective and don't want to entertain the idea that there could be another way to look at it. Um, and, and that makes it really difficult when, when trying to deal with that issue. And most of us at some point have said these words, please try to see this from my perspective. Please try to see this from my point of view. And that's what you're asking the person to give up their confirmatory bias. And please look at this with another set of lenses. Please look at this from another perspective. And that's where you get into relationship damage is that if a person says, I don't care about it. No, it's not. It's not consistent with what I believe. Um, Then you get into relationship damage. Now, the second two explanations are more we're getting closer to the core of who we are, right. uh, how we protect ourselves, how all of us protect ourselves. Um, and the first of these is something called cognitive dissonance. Right. Yeah. And cognitive dissonance is the difference that you encounter between how you define yourself, your your self-concept, and that you encounter a difference between who you believe you are and who you're told you are. Right. Right. And I think the best example of this is, is the OJ Simpson case for those of you who remember that, that he convinced himself that he didn't commit those. Now, none of us know whether he did or not. Everybody suspects that he did, but it's a perfect example of cognitive dissonance be taught because at some point, he was unable to accept what he thought of himself and this heinous crime. Yeah, and that's a good example. It's not the. That's an extreme example of cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I, I think one of the areas where we see this a lot in um, 
in, in the patients that we work with, um, I, again, we can use the example of kids. Um, a lot of times kids with ADHD, especially bright kids with ADHD, um, they will tend to develop anger or depression even. Um, and when you kind of boil it down and, and figure out why, you find out that they recognize how they should be behaving. They recognize that they should be able to control. They, they know the rules, they know the expectations, but they keep getting in trouble anyways because they keep making these same mistakes over and over again. And so this difference between what they know to be how they should behave mm -hmm. as compared to how they are actually behaving. And, and it can create this real sort of, well, they call it a dissonance between who you are and who you think you are. Right. And, and that difference can create a great deal of distress for mm -hmm. people. Right. And so, and so how this relates to <clears throat> admitting when you're wrong is, you know, we all like to think of ourselves as being very thoughtful and kind and considerate to others. And, you know, we like to think that we always have people's best interests in mind and that we're thoughtful as it relates to decisions that we make and things like that. So then when we make a mistake or we do something that hurts someone else, to accept that or to, to acknowledge that, yes, I, I made this mistake and it hurt someone, well, that creates this cognitive dissonance between, no, I'm a, I'm a thoughtful, considerate, kind person. There's no way that I would have done this to That's hurt right. somebody. And, and then so you, you refuse to accept it because you can't, that those two things can't live together in this, your same thought process. That's right. In our species, we, we struggle with that. It makes us, an, it, it produces an unpleasant feeling in us mm -hmm. when, when I think of myself, let's say a, a parent, I think of myself as a thoughtful, kind, considerate parent. But if I'm told that that I'm not, that I did something that suggests otherwise, I struggle with that. It, it makes me very uncomfortable. It, right. It's a very unpleasant feeling to think that I'm a, not a very good parent because right. it doesn't match with what I think of myself. And therefore, to avoid the unpleasantness, I... I say, no, I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. Because what I want to do is get rid of that unpleasant feeling. So instead of changing my concept of saying, well, maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe I do make mistakes. I cling to this idea that, no, I didn't make the mistake. Right. Because I want to get rid of that unpleasant feeling between who I think I am and what people are telling me about myself. And so I just, the, the simplest way to get rid of that feeling is simply to deny that you did anything wrong. Right. Um, uh, and that's absolutely. a perfectly normal human response. Yeah. Now, it's perfectly normal. It creates a lot of problems. But it creates problems. When we don't that's recognize right. it and, and do something about it. But right. but it is a sort of a natural self-protection thing because, again, one of the, one of the main contributors to depression Mm -hmm. is cognitive dissonance, is this disagreement between what we think and what we do. Um, right. And so, you know, that's the that's the goal of therapy um, mm -hmm. in many cases is to help align these things. And so how do we, you know, people go on and on and on about cognitive behavioral therapy. Well, that's one of the goals of cognitive behavioral therapy is how do we align the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we behave when we're with other people or even when we're by ourselves for that matter. Yeah, if you enter a relationship or even a discussion with the idea that I didn't do anything wrong, mm -hmm. um, 
it's going to be very difficult for you to accept that you might have. And right. so you simply deny. I mean, that's the easiest way to relieve the unpleasant feeling is to say, no, I, it, it wasn't me. It wasn't anything that I did. It could not have been me because I don't do that sort of thing. Well, right. uh, that intransigence can damage a relationship. Absolutely. Now, the most fundamental reason um, and the one that psychologists and analysts and psychiatrists have have spent most of their time talking about is something called ego protection. This one's tough. <laughs> and so I'll hand this one to you, Bernie, and you can make all the mistakes. So, so uh, all right. So <laughs> our, our, our ego is sort of who we are. You know, that is, you know, Freud talked about our id, ego, and superego. And our ego is sort of our, the, our, our fundamental self. Um and it is oftentimes driven by unconscious. We don't really think about mm-hmm. some of these things. We just, we just, man, we do behaviors, we do thoughts, and we do these things. And these are manifestations of who we, of our ego. That's right. sort of what the, the belief is. Well, there are those who have very weak egos, meaning that their sort of self identity fundamentally is very fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that could be a result of a multitude of things and it could manifest in a multitude of ways. Um, sometimes we even see, you know, the people that you think to have the strongest ego, like people who are narcissistic oftentimes have the weakest egos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the narcissistic tendencies are a manifestation of, I have to protect this ego that is so weak that I have to put this really hard shell on around it. And I can't ever admit that I'm wrong or that I did anything. And I always have to be right because as soon as I admit that I'm wrong about something, everything crumbles and falls apart. Right. Um, So when, when a person has a weak ego or fragile ego, Mm -hmm. accepting anything that they do as wrong, um, anything at all can shatter them psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, we talk about sort of this ego protection as sort of a, a defense mechanism of sorts to protect them from that ego shattering acceptance of reality. Right. And ego is one of those temperament issues. I mean, there are people who have strong egos and they can take it. And there are people who have weak egos and they can't take it. Um but it's it is fundamentally who you are. The ego is you. It's the self. Okay, it's how you define yourself. And some it's conscious, and some of it's unconscious. Conscious, but it's you have this idea of yourself. No matter who tells you that you're wrong, it's still going to hurt. Right. It doesn't matter whether it's a whether it's a child, a partner, a coworker, a, a stranger. Mm-hmm. You know, a stranger can tell you that you're wrong. And it, dam- it it there's a ding, there's a damage, there's a there's an insult to your whole person right. when you're told that you're wrong. And we all recoil. Yeah. You know, when you're moving along and you think, okay, I'm I'm this and I can do this and I'm this and I'm strong and I'm I have money in the bank and blah blah blah. And somebody comes along and tells you that you've made a mistake, that you're wrong, that mm-hmm. it it there's an assault to our person. Right. Now, if you have an intact ego. You can say, hmm, I better think about that. Right. Let me see what I can do about that. Is she right? Did I do something that I shouldn't have? Or do I say, it wasn't me. Can't right. be me. Uh, not me. Because you protect your ego. 
And Freud talked about all these defense, there were 12 or 13 defense mechanisms that we all use to protect our ego. Right. Uh, you know, we talk about OJ Simpson protecting his ego. So you use these defense mechanisms and you can actually have amnesia. I mean, it can be that strong that Absolutely. you actually have amnesia for the event. We, our brains will do what they need to do to protect our egos. Okay? Right. So this is probably the major reason, maybe the major reason why people refuse to admit that they're wrong because they just can't take the assault to their ego. Right. A absolutely. And, and it is, um, it is very much a protective um, uh, per perspective, but again, I think it's important to know, notice that it's, that there can be sort of some subconscious motivators for that. Right. It's not that they are, cognizant and aware that okay i'm doing this because i'm protecting my ego right it's not at all that way it's it's happening with that goal but it's in the very least pre-conscious is they're not thinking about it with that necessarily um you know a priori or ahead of time they're not thinking about that ahead of time right. now there, there are other reasons you know a lot of times people will refuse to accept that they are wrong be simply to to maintain power and control um, right that that is usually that is usually more conscious that they, they are aware that they are doing that you know I have to maintain this position mm -hmm. and this position says that if I'm wrong then somebody else is going to try to take over somebody else is going to try to take this position away from me and so um that, that's sort of a psychological reactance to to um something happening but the as you said, the, the ones that we're really concerned about, like cognitive dissonance and the ego protection, those are the ones that we're really concerned about because that is much deeper and more, um, you know, you know, less, less um, cognitive, less aware that that's happening, and they're it's just a part of who the person is. Right. Yeah. And I think ego protection is the one that concerns us the most because right. it's what we all do. Um, but it can really be damaging. And and we all ought to have an ego meter to to check our ego once in a while to say, well, maybe I am, you know, am I too fragile? Because you you really should be able to admit that you're wrong in 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 many in most cases. Um you talk about this psychological reactance. We sort of added this um to the four core uh, reasons. And it it has something to do with apologizing because. Once you admit that you've made a mistake, the implication is, is that you'd have to apologize for it. You'd have to admit it. And with admittance comes, with, with admitting that you made a mistake comes this sort of implicit um, need to apologize for it. And that creates another sort of a second layer of problems because most of us don't like to apologize. We find it very difficult to apologize. Mm -hmm. We can offer a superficial, meaningless apology, or we can say, oh, I'm really sorry I did that and not mean it, okay? Oh. A sincere apology, the, the, the fear in apologizing is that you're giving up power mm -hmm. and you're giving it to somebody else. Right. If I apologize to my partner, there's something inside me that says, you're handing power to the partner. Yeah. If I apologize to my children, parents don't, some parents will never apologize to their children right. because they want to maintain, they fear that they're handing power to their children. 
Yeah. Okay. And so the the apologizing adds another layer here of complexity that you need to think about. And does it really do that? It, it feels like you're handing over power, but you need to rethink it because that may be that may not be what's actually happening. Absolutely. And, and there's so many dangers associated with not apologizing. You know, you really damage relationships. Um, you know, one of the core fundamental foundations of, of a healthy relationship, again, regardless of the type of relationship, is trust. Right. And there is no better way to damage trust than to um, be unable or unwilling to accept responsibility for your behaviors and accept mm -hmm. responsibility for what you've done. Right. And so, you know, it, it, it jeopardizes trust. It alienates other people, pushes them away from you. Um, and, and it makes it difficult. One of the very first things you said was you can't, there's no growth um, and relationships have to grow. Right. And, and unless you can work through some of these th issues together, you, you can't grow um, in your relationship. Right. Yeah. Apologizing always has two part, two, two places. One is you have the person who is apologizing. Mm -hmm. Well, you're handing, you're sort of handing a gift to the other person. You're, mm -hmm. you're saying here, here's something that I'm giving you an apology. Now the other person has to appreciate that apology mm -hmm. and not weaponize it. Because right. if the receiver weaponizes that, now you're into damaging, you're, you're damaging the relationship again. When somebody apologizes to you, it's a gift that you should treasure and use it to build the relationship, not right. use it as a weapon to maintain power and control. Right. And what is the biggest weapon is, you know, somebody says, you know what, I'm so sorry that I did that. I didn't mean to. And when the person says, well, you know what, I tried to tell you that that was that right there is using it as a weapon. Right, right. Saying, I was right and you were wrong. And, and you're apologizing to me, but I'm going to rub it in that you were wrong because I was right from the very beginning. And I told you not to do that. Right. And if you just listen to me. You've mm -hmm. just done what I said. That's and right. You can't get into those, those that type of weaponization, as you said, right. because what is the likelihood that the person is going to acknowledge and admit something the next time if you're doing that? So, so if you're if you're the recipient of an apology, treat it as the gift that it is and take good care of it. Don't ever use it for um, for power purposes, for negative purposes, for control purposes. Treat it, accept the apology for the gift that it is and let it strengthen your relationship. Absolutely. All right. I think that's it for today. Look at yourself. Look at what you're, what's going on around you. And if you make a mistake, you know, be willing to acknowledge, accept uh, responsibility, apologize if needed. But, um, but let's be, let's work to be more aware of mistakes that we're making. And, you know, I'm sure that when you do so, you're going to find that your relationships strengthen and things get, get better, even within yourself. You know, you start to recognize yourself better and you start to feel better about yourself. So, all right. So that's it. We'll be back next week um, with another podcast. We should be back next week. We should. We we plan to be. No more trips. For right um, solar eclipse today. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm hearing hearing words about that. So if you have a chance, um, carefully look at this. Carefully observe the solar eclipse if you have the opportunity. Well, this we're, we're recording this on October fourteenth. 
It was going to post on October 15th. So hopefully you did that. I missed it. Hopefully you did that yesterday. <laughs> Sorry. That's weird. Um, so if we could talk to your past self, we'll remind you to watch it. Look for it. All right. <laughs> Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. Lesson learned. <laughs>